Welcome to the Shiny Brightly Show. I'm Howard Brown, author, speaker, Silicon Valley entrepreneur, international peacemaker, and yes, two-time stage four cancer patient survivor and advocate. Each episode will take you from resilience to hope and a whole lot more because Shining Brightly does make the world a better place. Be prepared to be inspired. Hello, welcome to Shining Brightly, your host extraordinaire, Howard Brown here today. Oh, what a great day. We are so lucky. We have Angela Lee with us today, and we are going to talk about emotional intelligence that matters. It's uh, it's not a subject that you probably often think about, but I think uh, when you get finished with this uh, session, you're going to find out that it's really needed. And Angela, welcome. Welcome. How are you today? Thank you so much, Howard. I am doing amazing. I am just so happy. (laughs) I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to talk to your listeners and have a great chat with you. Oh, I'm so thrilled. And um, I'm here in sunny, hot Michigan and and you're in Taos, New Mexico, probably lovely, a little cooler, no? A little cooler, yeah. (laughs) Excellent, excellent. Well, we've chosen this emotional intelligence and why it matters. It's it's really important, but I think we've got to give a little bit of background. So I'm going to just do a short bio and you'll fill in some of this, but um, you, you've had quite quite an upbringing and um, you had a dad who was an alcoholic. You, you call your mother angelic. I want to learn more about that uh, with a profound impact on you. And um, I, I think that uh, the audience and the listeners and viewers are going to want to know about behaviors that that uh, you know make you powerless because I think that's a very common theme in today's society. And um, you know, sticking staying in toxic relationships. Um, why mm-hmm. did why would someone do that? And and, and people do that all the time. And yeah. then um, you got you were in a big tragedy. The the Tubbs wildfire in Northern California. You you lost your house. You lost everything. You had to wow. start from scratch. Just the clothes oh on our back. That's it. Well, no. We're going to go there too. <laughs> and, um, uh, and then you, you you talk about relationships. And and so um, with my book coming out, with Shining Brightly coming out, I um I have to tell you, I've had to examine that too. I didn't have the wildfire, but I had another fire in my life called stage four uh, colorectal cancer. And um, the emotional, physical, um, financial relationship toll that it took uh, was something that I do talk about in my book. But I, I want to hear it from your point of view. And um, you've also uh, written children's books that are really helpful. We're <laughs> going to get to that. So we've got a, a juicy little segment here. So okay, um, fill, fill me in. Where do you where where do you want to start? Where what part of your bio do you want to start at today? Oh gosh. Um, well, you asked about my mother, so. <laughs> Yeah, let's go to mom. Yeah. Yeah, let's start with some shining brightly. Uh, my mom, she, I never heard her ever make a judgment about anyone. She was able to accept people as they are. And even though, you know, I know that my father was challenging for her because she would get phone calls from us little kids complaining about what he was doing to us while she was at work. Um, And yet I I have no recollection of her ever coming down on him. Um, She just did her best to uplift him and, and, you know, hold him in a space of love as opposed to blame and 
So yes, she. But, but was she too life. passive? It seems like she was somewhat passive. Was was he physically abusive, or was he just? Uh, he was uh, anger management, and it was. Um, I call him a raging alcoholic, mm-hmm. and his rage was a huge thing in my young life, our young lives. Um, he was emotionally and physically, and. It's possible. I I don't know if if this happened. I have repressed it so much that I don't remember. But there is some question about whether there was sexual abuse or not. Also, so you know, I'm not really going to go go there too much. Yeah, yeah. That's um, he was just a very hurt man who. Um, I'm going to back it up to his childhood. My understanding of my father was hugely opened up when my aunt said, Jimmy was such a sensitive child. Now he was born in 1925. So if you can imagine in the depression, um, being a sensitive boy was not acceptable for to anybody. So his father tried to beat out of him his sensitivity. Um, He always knew that he never measured up in his father's eyes. He was not good enough. So my father, um, no matter what he did, it was not good enough. So he turned to alcohol to numb his painful feelings his painful feelings of not being worthy, not, not having his dad's love. And when he was drunk, his behaviors caused his family to see him as not a good enough dad. And so he just perpetrated that, perpetuated that feeling throughout his life by his choice to numb the feeling with alcohol. And if he had been able, if he knew the tools that I now know about how to face a painful feeling, he could have made tremendously different choices in his life. I I would say that he kept the cycle of his own dad's treatment towards him, but, but it came out when he was numbed with being drunk and yes. um, he, he wasn't able to alcohol and drugs, very powerful, wasn't able to heal himself. Um, and he perpetuated it and kept it and he passed it on. And uh, that cycle continued and, and it, it affected you and your siblings and your mom greatly. And thank you for one sharing so openly and raw. I, um, it's uh, you're, you're breaking my heart, but I, 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 I like, I'd like you to continue on and see what lessons we can learn from from this harshness that you had to deal with as a little girl and growing up? It's, um, you know, and I, I'm not alone in this. There's lots of people who have experienced really terrible things in their youth. And one of the decisions I made when I was very young um, was the anger or rage is terrible 
And it's a feeling that I should not express. And I, I judged everyone who ever expressed anger. When you think about a little three or four year old on the receiving end of rage, you can see where they get, where a young child would get that idea. This isn't good. This is really bad. I should never have this. But the repression of my own anger led to some poor choices in my life. And um, when we when we disallow any emotion, whether we think of it as good or bad, then we are denying a part of ourselves because our emotions are information. They're there, they're there to alert us, hey, we are having this problem or hey, we really like this. They're information and nothing more. They're energy. Um, the flow of an emotion has been biochemically measured to be about 90 to 120 seconds. So when we allow the flow of an emotion, instead of repressing it, <laughs> pushing it away, escaping it, it'll leave us really quickly. The problem is that when we have um, really deep emotions, grief, anger, these really overwhelming emotions that there seems to be no way out of them. Um, you need to basically allow that emotion every time it comes up. And that slowly unbuilds that mountain of feeling that you're experiencing. So before I go any further, I want to give the tool <laughs> that yeah, allows this. Yeah, because it's really important. Um, it What this does is disconnects your mind from the emotion. Because when our mind becomes involved in the emotion, that extends the amount of time we feel the emotion. I call it the story. When the story is in the emotion, it goes on for a long time. But when we can just witness the feeling, that's when it can flow and it can leave us. So to witness a feeling, you feel it. You pay attention. Where is it in my body? What, how strong is it? What does it feel like? Does it feel like this black knot in my belly or is it in my throat? Where, you know, just notice it and then name it. I am feeling sad, mad, happy, whatever. And then give yourself permission. Allow the feeling. That's it. Yeah, you know, too often, yeah, too often we just uh, shout back and, and let the anger build. I, I agree. I, I, I know from my grandfather to my dad to me, uh, and especially when I was on steroids, but that's not an excuse. Um, yeah, I, I have a temper, uh, you know, and, and it's not a temper with friends. It's a temper with inner family. You know, uh, that's yeah. typically where, where, <laughs> where, where, where it really shows. Um, and um, it's, a, it's a discipline that um, 
you know, I have to work on, we all have to work on because we, we, we live in emotional roller coaster times. And we do. So, oh, so did they, so did they in the, in the 1920s, but there wasn't any cell phones. There wasn't this digital information <laughs> to process in two seconds flat and make a split yeah. second decision. We need to slow it all down. So I think that those are very wise words is to own it and to name it. Um, and uh, I think it's really important. So you, you've had, you went on, unfortunately, and, and uh, you basically, it says here that you, uh, what do you learn from, you, you married a man that actually their, their main emotion was anger too. So you re- replicated the cycle. Is that true? I did. Oh yeah. Yeah. And worse yet, I judged him for being angry. So <laughs> if you can imagine the toxic cycle dynamic of that marriage, he would become angry. I would judge him for being angry. He'd get madder. And it was just a downhill toxic cycle. But you stayed for 32 years in that relationship. Mm, I did. Yeah. From, and I, this is in no way blaming because I don't believe in blame. Um, I think I learned from my mother that everyone deserves love. Sure. And I know that that's what I kept saying, you know, hey, everyone deserves love no matter what their behavior is. And and so what I, I worked myself into this corner because I every few years I got the idea that my life could be a lot better if I left the marriage. Mm-hmm. But every time I had that thought, I thought, I can't leave, that would hurt him. And I can't be responsible for hurting him. And it took the wildfire really for me to wake up to the reality that by staying, I was hurting him by judging him every time he got married. And you were hurting, you're hurting yourself too. And you I was hurting myself. Yeah. And you saw your mother do it. And you stayed for for three decades. Um, there is accountability that um, these other you know guys were not upholding. They well, they weren't yeah. holding their end of the bargain there as well. That you know that's true, and I can see in both cases they were men carrying a lot of pain. Okay. And hurt people. Hurt people. <laughs> It's, you know, it, everybody, every time I say that people say, yeah, (laughs) and, and it's a truth um, when we can, you know, uh, the bottom line is I love my ex-husband. I love him unconditionally. When I was there, I could not because you can't be unconditional in your love when you're the recipient of rage and blame. When that, when you're in that circumstance, you have the condition that you're treated better. And so there was no way for me to love him unconditionally. The scales weren't balanced. I can see that. Um, again, I obviously never met your, you know, your father or, or this man, but it does, doesn't sound like uh, the scales were balanced. And so you're in this long-term relationship and then devastation happens. This tubs wildfire. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's talk about, let's talk about losing everything here. 
you know, it's, um, I went to bed that night, 10, 10.30, so it was October 8th, 9th. Um, went to bed at 10.30 on October 8th, got awakened by a phone call at 1.30 saying evacuate immediately. Looked outside the entire hillside at 1.30 in the morning, it should be black, but it was an orange glow. But worse yet, there was this sound that um, stays with me. I still remember it. It's that you know how noisy it is when there's a, a 65 mile an hour wind. It's very noisy. When you add on top of that the roar of a fire, it was it was like unworldly <laughs> this noise, and I. I just shut the door and I ran downstairs and I said, we got to, we have to leave right now. So 15 minutes later, we were out of the house. I had grabbed the, um, the photographs, the photo albums, because I knew of everything. Those were the least replaceable. <laughs> and um, we got the dog and, and we got out. At 2 a.m., uh, we, we were at my mother-in-law's house, and at 2 a.m., there was a notification that they opened the, um, it was the fire, it, um, the headquarters where, where all the people involved in safety would report with this fire. And my job at the county at the time was to be the health person at this agency, the fire ops, um, looking after the employees' health, making sure that they were taking breaks, making sure that they got food, you know, making, making sure that they were okay as they were trying to do their work. So at 2 a.m., I said, we got, we, I have to go to work. And we left my mother-in-law's house and tried to drive to this agency in the middle of town, but couldn't because there was fire all around. So as we're driving, there's fire on both sides of the street and we're driving through the fire. <laughs> um, it was a horrendous night. And the next morning we walked to our house, not sure if it was there and it wasn't, it was, and, and this is the part that, like, I just can't wrap my head around this, a 3,000 square foot suburban home, you know, that had stood imposingly on the street was now a two foot pile of ash. And all that was left was foundation and the front stairs, brick stairs that went up to the front door. So I had a stairway to heaven. <laughs> yeah, you, you did. And so you, wow. I mean, that's a lot to throw at anyone. And so you, um, you, you have to kind of figure out what's next. And that's not easy. So what was next? Well, um, I, I, I have such a recollection of going into Walmart. All the shopping centers were closed. Everything's closed, but Walmart was open. I needed shoes. I needed 
toothpaste. I needed, you know, makeup, hairbrush, everything you need to go to work the next day. And I, at one point, I look up from the cart that I'm pushing and all around the store are people buying the same things I am because there were 5,000 homes burned. Okay. And it, so it was, you know, they talk about pulling the rug out from under you. I imagine that's a little bit like the day you get a cancer diagnosis. It's like your whole world goes upside down. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So how did this change your life? <sighs> well, um, when I lost everything except the relationship I had, I was forced to look at the relationship in a way that I had not previously. Because, you know, what I really learned is that possessions are all replaceable. They don't matter. People matter. And so it was an act of self-love. The first time I ever truly put myself first. But six months after the fire, I left my husband. And it was the hardest decision I ever made because I don't want to hurt anybody. But I also recognized that by staying, I was hurting him. I appreciate that. It's uh, so you, you're going to then, you know, you've now focused your work on, you know, you, you've dealt with your dad with alcoholism and um, you've lost, you lost all your possessions. And now you're, you're basically, I call it putting Humpty Dumpty back together again. I've had to do that <laughs> a couple different times, but many people do. And, um, yes. but this time you're, you're a new version of Angela is going to come, come forward. And um, you've decided to focus your work on children and emotions. Uh, how did you decide, how'd you come to that? You know, um, many of my, my father's life decisions and my life decisions were based on emotions. And I understood that, you know, this line, generational line of trauma and abuse that was woven through my family, um, the history, I understood that that was all connected to painful feelings that in the case of my father, he tried to escape. You cannot escape painful feelings. They follow you. They're like magnetically charged to you and they just stick. So having the tool knowing how to witness your feeling, um, it's like, gaining freedom from the prison that you create when you try to escape your feelings. And people don't really get that. If you look at my father, he started drinking as a young man and he had to drink more and more and more and more in order to numb those feelings. He died an alcoholic on Skid Row. You know, this was not a good life that he had. But 
that is a prison that he chose, that he built for himself. Unfortunately, he didn't, you know, nobody talked about the importance of emotions and the importance of knowing how to deal with your emotions. When he was a kid, that was not taught. When I was a kid, it was not taught. And fortunately, it's starting to be taught because many schools now have SEL, which is social emotional learning. And, you know, I really see my books as a, a adjunct to an SEL program because it through story, we can take in information that we will not take in through lecture. So when children either have their parents read the book, my books to them, or when the children read the books, they might recognize themselves in some of the story and they might have like, oh, well, I never considered looking at it that way. And so it just might open their, expand their awareness of, you know, there's a different way that we can look at things that doesn't make us a victim. And it's stepping out of that victim energy is, you know, another very empowering thing that we can do. When I was married, I was the victim of that relationship. And there's a very powerful energetic triangle. So um, victim, persecutor, rescuer. And we go through that triangle when, when we're in victim energy. Being on any leg of that triangle means you're in victim energy. So um, for example, my husband would yell at me I'd yell back. So first I'm the victim, then I'm the persecutor. And the next day I would try and save us by, by coming up with a way that maybe we could not be that destructive to each other. <laughs> and, and so I just played in that triangle of energy. And it was only when I quit blaming him for his behavior and understood that if I'm being triggered by his behavior, it's not him that's the problem, it's me. Because I have within some react reactive energy that is responsive to this behavior. And so once I had that realization, taking radical responsibility for my reactiveness plucked me right out of that victim energy. Once we take responsibility, we are not victims. Once we take responsibility, we have the power to create whatever change we want. If I am reactive because I have this energy, maybe based on something my father said to me when I was little, then I can 
use tools to heal that part of me so that I'm not reactive anymore. And now I'm empowered. I'm not anybody's victim. Yeah, so I, I, this is one of um, my more serious podcasts. I mean, this one, we're talking about raw emotion here. We're talking mm-hmm. about your real life experience. And, um, and it's, 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 it's raw and heartfelt. Uh, for those that might be wondering, the Bella Santini Chronicles are, is the name of the series of books. You have two. Um, I do. And you have a third one on the way. What was the first one? What did that, what did that focus on? So the first book of this series is really introducing the whole concept and the characters. And um, I would say the theme of that one is really about knowing how to feel your emotions. In one of the chapters, Bella, the main character, and one of her compatriots end up in an alternate dimension that is peopled by emotions. And so the discussions that they have about how to get through these heavy emotions that they're experiencing in order to achieve their goal of of getting a relic, retrieving a relic, um, they, the discussions are very informative, but it's not a lecturer telling kids how to do it. It's a character saying, hey, you know, this breathwork pattern really helps keep you calm. Or, or, hey, have you heard of EFT tapping? It's a way to manage your emotions. And so through these character discussions, the kids can absorb this information. And, and it's... I call it edutainment as opposed to um, well, you're, sell, you're, you're, you're telling stories that kids can absorb or parents can read that are teaching some serious lessons, but they, they'll, they'll take it, you know, if they're ages three, four, five, six, seven, where they're not, you know, ready or grounded to take on the seriousness of it, but you're giving them uh, some lessons and, and they're able to then understand it if they can recognize, you know, certain situations, if they're being yelled at or they're being hit or abused, um, they, they can understand maybe and, and deal with it, but also hopefully tell someone so that they can get helped. Um, Absolutely. So, so do you, you know, you've been through a lot, uh, but you're, I, I would say that uh, you, you're, you know, the embodiment of emotional resilience. I actually uh, like to say that I'm resilience to hope um, because I'm, uh, we're going on that path. And I, I like to focus on uh, positivity, and um, but I don't ignore the world around us. We are in a difficult world. There is uh, a lot of negativity. Uh, it's all in a blink of an eyelash. We had, a, you know, the shooting in the Chicago parade, going to a Fourth of July parade, not even safe anymore. Going to school, right? Uh, there's there's a war. There's a you know there's stuff going on that's just messy, and it's all in a blink of an eyelash. And it's I, I fear for the kids today that are growing up digital. Um, you know, I have a daughter who's 20, so. Uh, she's she's growing up digital, and um, it's uh, the amazing the amount of um, emotional complexity coming out of COVID. Yes. And I'm coming out of cancer and COVID. My my wife, my caregiver, cancer and COVID, and and we're trying to put our pieces back together again. And uh, I I I, I want to ask you a, a final question before we'll share some information on how to get back in touch with you. But mm-hmm. so uh, you have seemed to kind of clearly now it says you know 
what what do you want to embody in now in in, in your lifetime? And and you've chosen a, a really interesting path now that you want to uh, share with others and uh, not go through what you went through. And I'll, I'll just relate that to you: is that um, in, in my story, I tell people to get screened for colon cancer. Mm-hmm. If it, if you go get screened, what's called ColoGuard, which is poop in a cup and then to a lab, or you get a colonoscopy. You can save yourself and, and the prep prep for that's not fun. You cleanse yourself out. But I don't want anyone to have to go through the chemotherapy, the surgeries, radiation, uh, the side effects that I had to go through. You can avoid yeah. that by getting your colonoscopy, which takes 20 minutes. You wake up. Typically, they tell you you don't come back for five years and you're on your way. So I, I see that you're trying to save save people. Is, am, I, am I right on that? that? That's what you're, you know, want to embody in this lifetime? Yeah. Um it's interesting because there's that save, which is part of the victim triangle. Okay. Well, tell, <laughs> so me, the right word. tell me the right words. Yeah, to use I'm learning. I, I say, I, I plant seeds of okay. emotional intelligence and what I figured out, you know, you mentioned the school shooting um, or it wasn't a school shooting, the 4th of July shooting Great, yeah, in Chicago. Tomorrow Sorry. I'm talking on six seconds um, dot org network about how to help kids who have experienced that kind of trauma. And most of my work is done in, in the prevention of that kind of trauma, because what I believe if every kid is taught self-love and emotional intelligence, then they're going to be free of all of these horrible things, suicide, substance abuse, alcohol abuse, um, self-harming behavior, overeating, all of those are driven by painful emotion as are school shootings. And when we can teach our children self-love and emotional intelligence, the world is going to change. Can you imagine what these adults, how how brilliant adults they'll be? <laughs> because they're not going to be emotionally triggered by behavior. They're, they're going to have the tools to deal with it. They're not going to. One of the things I posted after the last school shooting is that no child who has self-love would purposely choose to harm another. And no child with emotional intelligence would plot and plan and execute that kind of thing. So I honestly, I believe deep in my heart that these two things are more important than most of the things that are taught in school. And we need to create this within our world so that kids can grow up in a safer environment. Amen to that. I mean, I'm, I'm on Team Angela because I'm going around speaking about uh, resilience to hope and, and inspiration and accountability and authenticity and values. And um, I, I, that value of self-love needs to uh, be felt and needs to uh, needs to be taught to our, our children because we'll make the world a better place together. I do want to actually 
to say that if you are you know, listening and you're coping with stress or any type of issues, um, please get help. Um, there, there's, there's hotlines, uh, the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. Um, it's in English and Spanish. Uh, get, get help. Um, really uh, make that call. Get yourself help. And um, because uh, the world's a tough place, and I, I hope, hope you'll do that. Um, this has been really, um, this, is, this is not easy issues to, to, to talk about. I so am glad you came, Angela. How, how can someone get in touch with you, uh, get your books, and, uh, and, and explore this further with you? Because uh, you are, uh, you know, self-development mentor, but you're, you're also, ex- you, you, you've experienced life and, and, and had some harshness and, and real tough stuff come your way. And you're, 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 you're trying to now spread this love and, and spread the emotional seeds uh, of resilience. So how does, how does one get in touch with you? My website, which is Angela Lee, L-E-G-H.com. And um, I do want to just add on to what you said about getting help because every single person matters. Every single person is a unique soul that brings to earth their own special gifts. And if you are feeling like you don't matter, if you are feeling like this, everything's too hard and you you need to get out of it, please take a moment and feel your own heart and know that you are love. And then call the hotline (laughs) because there are people there who want want you to survive. They, They want to have you in this world and you need to know that there are people like that. Thanks for reinforcing that. So this this was this was serious business today, uh, Angela. You are shining brightly with us. Thank you for coming and and sharing your story. It's raw, it's tough, but you are here to help others, and um, we are we are certainly thankful and grateful for you to come on today. And I'll share this with uh, with my network. Everyone needs to hear the message, and. Um, I know that uh, since I know you're, you're, uh, I know Richard, he, you are his angel and you are now an angel to the shining brightly world as well. And oh, thank, thank you. Thank you for being here today. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of shining brightly with me, Howard Brown. Come interact with me at shiningbrightly.com. And remember, Keep on shining.